Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, let's go right back to the phones. And joining us from Tightline Outdoors is Matt Ensley. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Terry. I understand you're on the water. Is that right? I am in my boat catching some smallmouth right now. You know, I don't know how much you heard of what I was talking about there, but it's been a crazy year as far as timing the seasons. We didn't get any warm weather till virtually the last day of June. It was cold and wet and spring-like. It put the fish migrations, put the bait fish spawning out, out of whack. Even some of the upland game were behind in their broods. And it was a very difficult time. If you used last year's playbook, you were killing yourself out on the water. You had to adapt, but the fishing was good. You just had to figure it out. Then we got July and August, so we're hotter than all heck. And fall's coming in a little late. What are you experiencing? Well, uh, summer patterns have been going right up till today. Water temperatures have begun to decline. I'm looking at a 64-degree temperature at Chatfield down from 70. So it is started. The, the night temperatures caused that to begin. And we should probably see a drop in water temperature of roughly approximately three-quarters to one degree a week right on into you know October and November to where these temperatures get down to 50 degrees. But we are starting to see some of the jigging patterns begin to produce uh, moving away from uh, night crawlers and leeches and bait bites to jigging wraps and blade baits. And right now I'm using a tube bait to catch a smallmouth here uh, off the rocks at Chatfield. How is it going? A small, Chatfield has a lot of smallmouth. Are you able to sort through and get a few nice ones there? Yeah, you know, you're going to catch 20 or 30 if you come out here and do this, uh, fishing the rocks. I like to fish the edge of the rocks where it transitions from the rock into the basin itself, and that's about 15 to 20 feet, and you'll catch larger fish by doing that. If you fish up shallow on those rocks and 10 feet or less, you're going to catch a lot of small fish, but stay deeper and uh, throw a tube bait, and they will not leave it alone. You know, let's take people through how we always talk to baits, and you and I assume, and we know how we rig them, and there's variations. You can put the jig head outside of the tube, inside of the tube, depending on whose tube you're using. You can use different length tubes, different colors, and different weights of jig heads. Uh, what particular do you like to use in a moment? I know it varies, but what are you using right now? Kind of explain your, your process in choosing that. If I'm fishing deep, I like to go with the 3 16th uh, uh, tube jig that slides inside the tube. If I'm fishing up in the rocks, sometimes I'll switch to a lighter jig, quarter ounce, even 3 16th, or Texas rig the tube, which makes it relatively weedless in the rocks, as weedless as you can get. And uh, those are the techniques and, and the jigs and style of hooks that I'm using right now. You know, a lot of people don't Texas rig tubes. They think you have to put them on a jig head. A largemouth bass uh, I, tube, it can be one of my favorite. I throw it a lot of times instead of a, a jig into the cover where you put us a, a sliding weight. You may or may not peg it, but you can actually you kind of come through the tube all the way is what I do and then hook the point back in to kind of what we call Texpose rig it. Is that what you do? Absolutely. You want to get that hook penetrated through that bait uh, before you start fishing it. And and then the other thing with the tube, because of its hollowness, tend to get very good hook sets with it. Yep, yep. I haven't missed many fish this morning, and they're still biting. They bite all day, 
water temperatures are perfect when you get down the 60s and right on down the 50s. Uh, you know, I've been out here at Chatfield uh, in the days before they closed it uh, at the end of November in December and had some excellent days for walleye uh, throwing jerk baits. So if you love a fall bite, the temperatures have cooled off. Get out here, not just Chatfield, all of our metro lakes. Cherry Creek's starting to produce some nice fish. Um, and Pueblo uh, is an excellent walleye lake. And we're still fishing spinny up in the mountains for those giant trout. So what are some of the techniques you're using in some of these different places? Well, for the trout, I use two techniques. Uh, when you catch them shallow, and they have been extremely shallow at spinny, we're catching them anywhere from two to five feet of water on two baits again, but the color changes. We use a white two bait um, and three and a half inch, and, and we use a three sixteenths ounce and work it very aggressively, jerking it, letting it fall, jerk, jerk, fall, uh, pause, reel up, slack, jerk again. And they, those big giant trout, I mean, five, six, seven pound trout, just slam it. Now, um, now at, spinny, at spinny, do you have to use an unscented tube? Uh, yes, you can't use any scented baits at all. You can use plastic, but no scented baits. So you know, keep that in mind when, when you're fishing any kind of plastic baits. Uh, the second uh, bait that I use at Spinny is a Tasmanian Devil. And I, you can cast it, but I typically move out into a little deeper water, uh, anywhere from 8 to 10 feet, and troll Tasmanian Devils when the tube bait bite slows a bit. And uh, they just hang. I mean, it's, the rod just comes out of the rod In fact, I lost one this past week up there. One jerked it out of the rod holder. But a uh, lot of fun and trophy fish at Spinney. Um, down here, as I was talking, it's been a bait bite up until today. Today is the first day I've noticed that the bait bite is starting to slow a little bit. Um, the, and particularly for walleye, they've backed off the road beds and, and moved to the edges where the drop-off and a great technique there is the jigging pattern, throw it up on top, jigging wraps, rip it up, let it fall, blade bait, same thing, pull on it, let it uh, vibrate, let it fall. They typically hit it when, when it falls or when you go to move it the next time they're looking at it and they just slam it. And you're seeing great success. I assume that's what we're going to see at lakes up and down the front range and out in the east too, like Pueblo and uh, Boyd and, of course, the the northeast lakes. But I would think right now, with the weather just changing and all the transitions in the next couple of weeks, if I just wanted to catch fish, and I, you know whether I'm accomplished or not, John Martin, would, I know you don't fish it a lot, but that would be a hot spot, I think. Yeah, it's got Saga, I believe, in John Martin, if I remember correctly. And, and, Scott, and, some, and some white bass. You can't hardly not catch a white bass out there. It's just just, just incredible. What other uh, what other types of bites are you seeing? What about aurora? I know you fish that quite a bit. We don't talk about aurora much. What's going on out there? Uh, walleye are still deep. Uh, they tend to hang in that 35 to 40 foot range off of the points and uh, humps that exist in the lake. Uh, just go to any of those points uh, on the east side of the lake and they'll have walleye on them. Uh, the jumbo perch fishing out there is just phenomenal schools of 10 12 inch perch uh you can take your limit home when you find them you have to drive around and get on top of them i like to use a drop shot because they can tend to be deep they will also be shallow first thing in the morning but as soon as that sun's up all those fish start to back off into deeper water 
So I use a drop shot to get down uh, in the school, no matter what depth they're at, and uh, a piece of night crawler. Or you can just use a, a small tube bait, and they will whack it sometimes two at a time if you've got multiple uh, hooks on your on your setup on you your know, drop shot. You know, in years past, when those those perch tend to cycle through out there, and they've been like this before, then they get a little more stunted, and then they come back. And of course, they're also one of the forage for the walleyes out there. I used to find them roaming through, and I would anchor up, double anchor over a spot because they would tend to come through. You'd catch a few, then a few minutes later, they'd come through again. Now, with our modern-day electronics and patrolling motors, you could use spot lock. Do you use that quite a bit? I love it. <laughs> I've got it on all my boats. And uh, as soon as you find the schools, sit right on top of them until they move, and then uh, take it off spot lock and troll around until you recontact school again. That's how you put a limit of perch together. Well, and uh, it's, the other pants. Go, go ahead. ahead. I was going to say it's so much easier than lifting anchor and and putting it down again. It's made anchors obsolete. Uh, basically, you just don't need them anymore, unless you've got some extreme wind that the spot lock has difficulty holding you. Um, it'll try, but as you deplete your battery, you you might want to throw an anchor out eventually. Um, I was going to say the other panfish bite that's been going in the fall that I love is crappie. And I use a slip float system uh, with a tube bait, a small one-and-a-half-inch to two-inch tube bait. White chartreuse seem to be the best colors, and uh, you can smack a lot of crappie. I was doing great on them uh, out at Quincy till they closed the lake uh, this week. What about bass out at Aurora? Are you seeing bass? Is there any more wipers there? I know there used to be, but I don't think they've stocked it a lot recently. But smallmouth and largemouth bass at Aurora are usually pretty good. Yes. Well, Aurora holds a state record. I caught one last year on a guide trip that was short of the state record by four ounces. I've never seen a smallmouth that big on a jerkbait, and that seems to be the main uh, technique to use out there to catch the smallmouth. It's hard to find them. The reason they get so big in in Aurora is there's a lower population of them, so they grow to to very large size, uh, four and five, six pound. And and there's, I'm sure, another state record over seven pounds swimming around Aurora right now. Largemouth, same situation, fewer uh, fish, but you'll find them in the flooded cattails and much shallower using Cinco's uh, Texas rigged. creature baits, and uh, crawfish imitations. Any last-minute bites you want to tell us about? If you were going fishing, uh, well, tomorrow, tomorrow, of course, the Broncos play. That might not be as big a draw as it used to be, and it'll be you'll have a lot of lake to yourself, and we got some good weather coming up for the week. Give us maybe one, and you probably mentioned Spinney and, and uh, Chatfield and Cherry Creek, but maybe something we haven't normally talked about that you might head fishing. Well, my favorite lake to fish uh, coming up in October would be Cherry Creek with blade baits. I've caught the largest walleye of my life out there in the month of October. Uh, find out the full moon date, get out there the week before the full moon, throw blade baits uh, shallow and, and drag them deep, and you'll catch some giant walleye at Cherry Creek. All right, my friend, thank you so much for joining us. If people want to book trips with you guys, they can find you on Tight Line Outdoors at both uh, on uh, online.com uh, and your Facebook page. That is correct. My friend, thank you, and good luck. Keep keep catching those fish. Take care. All right. Matt Ensley from Tight Line Outdoors.
You know, a lot going on, folks. This is a great time to be out fishing. I mentioned it early. By the way, we're going to be joined uh, after this break by uh, Kirk Dieter, Colorado's own Kirk Dieter, who's a famous, accomplished fly fisherman. He's the editor of Trout Magazine, editor at large for Field and Stream, and just a an author and a just a plethora of knowledge. We'll get him, but it's just so great to be out here. A lot of people are hunting. A lot of kids are in school. You're not going to have the crowds out there, and it can be some of the best fishing of the year, whether you're fly fishing or conventional fishing. And we're going to switch gears and talk a bunch of fly fishing coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We're going right to the phones. We're joining us is Colorado's own Kirk Dieter. Let me see. He's the editor of Trout Magazine, editor-at-large of Field and Stream. He's an author, an accomplished fly fisherman. You know, Kirk, it's only a half-hour show. I can't go through your whole resume. Well, you're kind. Thank you for having me, Terry. It's good to be with you. Always great to have you on, and uh, a lot going on. And I wanted to make sure we talk some fly fishing today because, you know, I've been talking about the the way the seasons have shaped up this year has been different. We're, our timing's been off, but it's starting to catch up. But I think we're headed for a phenomenal fall fly fishing experience. I know you were recently out on the Colorado River. What did you see out there? Well, we it was a great day yesterday, um, except for the fact that the wind was blowing so hard. But despite that, we caught some fish. We were moving them on streamers, mostly an olive-colored sculpin. And uh, surprisingly, though, the skies were very bright. But we had blueing olives all over the place. Uh, when the wind laid down or we got behind the canyon wall where we were sheltered a little bit, we were even able to fish some dry flies. So it's definitely great flows, about 1,300 CFS coming uh, down the river now. It's low and clear. You can see some of the fish in the shallows. It's, it's, it's about as perfect as it can be right now. Now, do you think the timing, now we've been talking more about the conventional fishing and also about uh, the, the upland game, which I know you're a big hunter, and the spring hung on forever. And in the lakes, the bait fish didn't, uh, didn't seem to get their normal hatches. Till, if they did late in the year, uh, the fish movements were different. The flows in the rivers were higher. The water temperatures in the lakes were cold. And then July and August, August just lit up. And it didn't go down. Normally, we're if, as a dove hunter, you know, I'm sure, that we usually get a freeze that moves all the doves out like the day before the season opens. And and this year, it's been late. Uh, we're starting to see, I'm hearing reports, it's starting to feel like fall out there. Is that kind of what you're seeing on the rivers, too? Yeah, that's exactly right, Terry. It's, um, we had a late runoff, as you know, went well into July, and then um, very hot August. And so things slowed down they were red hot as far as fishing was concerned through middle of july into middle of august then in the late couple weeks in august it was kind of a doldrum um but now because the nights are cool uh it was in the 30s here i'm in steamboat springs right now and it's in the 30s last night close to freezing and the river temps i was checking them yesterday they never really got above like 62 or 63 so the the water temps are perfect and that's why i think the the trout are so active. So well, I, happy. I think we're going to have uh, extremely healthy fish. A couple of years ago, 
we were worried because the waters were so warm and shallow and low flows all summer, we were worried about getting the fish through to the fall in the cooler water. I think that probably wasn't the case. We either had cool water or really good flows, so we should be looking at fish that are really in good shape heading into the fall. Uh, For sure. The fish are going to be great this year, and even more importantly, they're going to be great next year. They're going to... um, you know, the holdover fish are going to are going to be healthy. They're going to winter well. I think they're going to have good flows even in the winter. We'll see what the ice does. But I have a feeling that, you know, come next April, we'll have the best April and May of fly fishing that we've had in a long time. Now, I know you did the Colorado. Have you, um, were you concentrating on the browns with streamers? Did you see many rainbows or were you mostly seeing browns? You know, it was about 50-50 mix, which is different than what it has been for me the last few times. Um, but we were fishing in the riffles quite a bit with the streamers too. So we caught some rainbows out in some of the riffly water. And um, we did catch some, a couple of nice browns on dry flies. But uh, yeah, I'd say about 50-50 mix yesterday. Well, you know, people who've never drifted the Colorado in the fall to fish those browns, it's almost like bass fishing. You're really, at least when I've done it, maybe you approach it differently, but we take big streamers and pound them right up against the shore and then strip them back very quickly. Is that what you were doing? Exactly. We were fishing out of my drift boat. I was with my friend Harold Klausner, and, uh, you know, we were pounding the, the shore, but the weird thing was is that the wind, I mean, it was puffing sometimes over 40 miles an hour. So we actually had to turn the boat around and have the angler out the back and kind of fishing uh, you know, right against the bank, but maybe a 45-degree angle downstream. And it didn't seem to bother the fish that much, you know. We didn't catch a whole lot of fish, but we, we, we definitely moved some, and that was good. Well, one of the things I like about, well, this time of the year especially, the year especially. when the streamer fishing is going on, I, I love that because I, I do a lot of fly fishing. I grew up as a conventional fisherman, or I got older. Karen says I never grew up, but... Um, but I, uh, I think I do well fly fishing cause I understand fish, not because I'm an excellent expert fly caster and I'm the first to admit that. But I think this time of the year, I love throwing streamers in a lot of situations where others might not because it, it's a little more natural to me. And I understand it's a more, it, it's not a drift as much as a visualization of what you're making that, that do. You're making it look like a minnow or a crawfish. And you're not as dependent on looking like a dead drift of a bug. And then another thing that happens this year I really love are hopper droppers because I can kind of splash them down and they make a little movement on the water. So it's a great time to get out and fly fish, If maybe if you're not the most uh, accomplished fly fisherman in the world. That's exactly right. It's a, it's a matter of I think the fish are, they know winter's coming. They're girding up. They're they're trying to bulk up a little bit and the water's lower and clearer so they can see better and and then they're they're about ready to spawn the browns are so their their dander is up so streamer fishing tends to be really effective in the fall no i agree in fact i i have a theory about fall fishing now a lot of people uh inexperienced fly anglers fly anglers will shy away from fall because of what you said we have clear lower flows and it can get pretty technical where you really have to make a great drift and put a fly right in there. But if you're in the where you can fish a hopper dropper or a terrestrial, um, you're going to have less crowds on the river. 
because of the lower flows, your line is more manageable. I actually think fall is a great time for novice and beginning fly fishermen to start expanding their repertoire and to advance their skills. I agree. I think it's, you know, it's really nice because there's so much to do. You know, you got to decide if you want to go bird hunting, if you want elk hunting, the, the archery season going and all that stuff. So, you know, the crowds you could tell, even from three weeks ago, there's a third of the people uh, out on the water now. And then with the low clear water, I think that it's also really nice because you can see some of the fish in the shallows sometimes. And you learn a lot as an angler by watching how fish react positively or negatively. If you know if he sees your fly and he's going to refuse it, well, then you need to switch it right then. Um, so I think that it, it, it fall fishing is kind of like the fourth quarter of a football game. It's when the, when the, when we really separate the, the good from the bad and we, that's crunch time. So I always look at it like playing fourth quarter football. Well, you know, and another thing, I talked about the hopper droppers, and you and I have talked about this before too, and the other terrestrials, is those bugs may not be as prevalent, but those trout sure remember what they look like. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. Plus a hopper, you know, that this time of year when they're trying to get so much protein, that's like a T-bone steak floating over their head. Um, Sometimes they can't. They don't eat it right away, but if you watch them, sometimes they'll follow it 8, 10, 20 feet downstream and then eat it, and that's really pretty exciting. Now, Kirk, i tell you what I want to do. I want to put you on hold. When I come back, first thing I want to do is I want, to get, I want you to give me two places you'd go fishing in the next two, three days, maybe if you don't have a drift boat. You're just going to go walk wade somewhere. And then I want to talk about your books in the magazines. Is that okay? That sounds great. Thank you. All right, I'll put you on hold. I'm going to put Kirk on hold, and when we come back, we'll have more with Kirk Dieter on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. So Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We're going right back to the phones because we have uh, one of my favorite guests on. He's so knowledgeable about fly fishing, and, of course, he's the author. He's the... uh, He's an author. We're going to talk about his books, and he's the editor of a couple magazines, and he's just everywhere you you find him out there, and even on the river. So, my friend, next two, three days, if you were going to walk, wait, I, I put the test to you. I said, give me a couple places. All right. And I first place I'd recommend is the place I drove by on my way from Denver up to Steamboat, and that's the Blue River. Um, right out down Steam Silverthorne. It looked pretty, pretty prime. Um, good low flows, easily weightable. I know there are bugs. I'd bring red quills, blooming olives, you know, your typical streamer stuff we've been talking about, and some nymphs too, maybe fish a dry dropper. You can do it all there, and that's pretty easy. Lots of places to get in and, and fish. The other place that I do, I like to go, I love fishing the Arkansas River down by Salida, and this time of year especially is one of my favorite times of year to fish it. It's most famous for the Mother's Day caddis and the spring betas hatches, but I think their fall betas hatches are maybe even better. And so I'd check that out too. In fact, we're going to have, I believe, the uh, people from the Arkansas River on next week. I tried to get them on this week too because I think we're probably a little behind when you normally go down there, but I'm hearing reports that is just starting. And, you know, a little bit warmer on the lower elevations down there and it goes up. 
and we should have just tremendous brown trout fishing down there all through the fall. It should be just unbelievable. I agree with you on that one. That's fantastic. All right, so let's talk a little bit about some of the other things you do. Talk about the magazines. You're the editor of Trout Magazine. You're an editor-at-large at Field and Stream. What are we going to see coming up in those publications? Well, we've got some, you know, we'll do some fishing tips and tricks tend to end up more in uh, Field and Stream. And so that's what's cooking there. Trout Magazine, uh, I'm really proud of where we're going. We, we have a nice blend of entertaining stories. Uh, John Gierak writes for us. It's a, it's a great honor to have him on the team. Um, Tom Reed, um, Dave Whitlock, um, and then we have some fun features. And then there's some conservation stuff that tells you about the good work that TU has done to make fishing possible in the first place. So, um, you know, Trout Magazine is easy to get. You spend 35 bucks to be a member of TU, which I, I personally think most anglers should do anyway, just out of conscience. But uh, I'm proud to that you get a nice magazine with that membership as well. All right. And I agree. Of course, I'm a member of TU. And uh, I, I even catch you at Field and Stream once in a while when I'm really bored. But I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I love your stuff. I follow you a lot. I really love it. And, and along those lines, you've written a couple books, one of them with a friend very near and dear to both of us. That I don't think we ever get together. We don't mention his name. And then another one you've just recently come out. Tell us about the books and why they're so important for fly fishermen. So the, the, book, the one book, the, probably the most important book that I've done so far was with our friend Charlie Myers, who is the outdoors editor with the Denver Post and uh, my mentor and your friend and, and, you know, I think probably introduced us. Uh, many, very many very likely. Ago. Yeah. So he was a, such a catalyst for these relationships that last. And Little Red Book of Fly Fishing was just meant to be uh, simple tips that take the mystery out of the game and make it accessible and easy. Whether you're a novice or someone who does it a lot, they're supposed to be simple, easy to digest tips. And I'll tell you a secret. Um, this 2020 is going to be the 10th year uh, anniversary of when that little red book was released. And to commemorate it, I'm coming out with the little black book of fly fishing, which is, Think of Black Diamond, a little bit more expert-level type tips that transpired over the last 10 years. Unfortunately, I don't have Charlie looking over my shoulder, um, except in spirit, but he's certainly a part of this book as well. All right, so we will uh, we'll look for those books. And uh, you know what I should do? I'm going to put you on the spot on the air. I, okay. I, 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 I've got your, your the red book. And, I, and by the way, the red book's not one you pick up and read cover to cover. You open it. To a different page, and you look, and oh, why didn't I? Why am I not doing that? And you know, you go through it. But I'm going to get one of your books, and we're going to do a trivia contest in the future and give one away. You you up with that? I'm in. Yeah, for sure. Just get me one of the books as soon as I get it. We'll do a trivia. I'll use Terry Wicks from Outdoors on Facebook to run a contest, and we'll do that. I think that'd be a great thing. But before I let I'm... you go, any last comments for the fly fishermen getting out there and things? No, just enjoy it. It's something that we've kind of worked all summer to get to this spot. So get out there in the fourth quarter and bring it home. I think that this is a great time to be fishing and hunting and other things that we do outdoors. But don't forget the fishing. It's it's prime time. Uh, you know, great time for a cast and blast. There's just so much to do. Kirk, thank you so much. We'll get you on soon. In fact, we've got to get you in the studio again soon. 
That sounds great. Anytime, my friend. It's good to be here. All right. Thank you. Kirk Dieter, uh, Trout Magazine, Field and Stream. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we're going to come back and talk shooting right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. And even though Dire Straits is playing, and I'd love to listen, we're going to go talk to Jr. from Colorado Clays. Good morning, Jr. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me on. You almost lost out to Dire Straits. I love that group. You were just afraid I was going to start singing, I know. Well, yeah, yeah that might be. I did, didn't cross my mind, but now that you did, I'm in mortal fear. But <laughs> I, I did. I got to tell folks that this guy sends me, we text back and forth about when he's going to call the show and stuff, and... Uh, yesterday morning, I believe it was, he sent me a text saying, I'll call you later with a great big picture of a walleye, but you forgot the GPS coordinates. <laughs> yeah, Terry, my, I really am going to try and rewrite my own personal walleye history book this year, and I'm going to catch less fish, but I'm going to focus on the quality, and uh, that was a good start there, you got to admit. Well, fall, fall is a great time. Fall and spring are the two best times to target big fish, and fall is... You catch numbers of fish. Spring, you catch more big fish, but fall, you can catch numbers of fish and big fish. I love the fall. I agree. Yeah. Let's talk some shooting, though. We've been, uh, uh, I want to get to some shotgunning in a minute. But first of all, you know, rifle seasons are starting out and they're going to be starting. And you just got to get that gun taken care of. Now, you have uh, a, a fabulous rifle range and you also have clinics. Tell us about those. All right, and thanks for bringing it up, Terry. I think that is really relative this time of year. So Colorado Clays, of course, as the premier public shooting facility, we always offer the finest in rifle, pistol, trap, skeet, and sporting clays, shooting to everyone, open year-round. Our entire facility is handicap accessible, and, of course, our convenient location makes us an easy drive from anywhere in the metro and most of the front range. But... Our rifle sighting clinics, uh, they're done right here in the Colorado Clay state-of-the-art. It's an NRA-approved rifle range. Um, It's a semi-outdoor design. We have a covered shooting area, uh, natural light and airflow down range, and a video viewing system with a a telephoto camera on your target and a monitor in your shooting base. So you can literally do real-time sight-in with no spotting equipment. Uh, We have, of course, the rubber padded shooting benches. We have uh, adjustable height stools and uh, many different types of rests from sandbags to a lead lead sled. So, of course, we're a perfect place for anyone to sight in anyway. But, Terry, what makes our sighting clinic such an amazing deal and fabulous tool um, to any big game hunter is that it includes a segment on safety, which we all know is so important, uh, a professional manual bore sighting done to your gun, um, literally as part of the clinic. Uh, and then, of course, MOA, minutes of angle. You know, you always hear that, but you're actually going to get a thorough description and application of MOA and how it relates to the sight-in and scope adjustment for your gun and your hunt. And then, of course, we'll go apply this information and the adjustments that you made to your gun on 50 and 100-yard targets. So you will literally enter the field with confidence in yourself and your equipment. Now, how often do you hold the clinics? Uh, We're doing them every Sunday morning at 730. So just call out to Colorado Clays. um, uh, Let us know which which week you want to get on the list for. We'll get you down. 
and uh, you'll be good to go. Well, and you mentioned the sighting capabilities you have. One of the things I think is really great, too, is the ability to shoot prone from yours. You and I both know, and you've found this out on shotguns, even doing your turkey patterning, that it's amazing how much your point of impact changes when your position changes. And it really does, Terry, and that is across the board uh, for all different types of shooting and different guns, and we have proven that in our clinics and in a lot of our patterning tests. So uh, with the capability of shooting, whether it's prone sitting or standing on sticks, whatever here at Colorado Clays, uh, you can literally make sure that you have that um, perfect point of impact regardless of your position. Now I want to talk about bird hunting, but before we get to that, um, you guys offer a variety of courses and classes out at Colorado Clays, right? Absolutely. Uh, we have instructors for all disciplines uh, that are available to anyone at any time. Um, again, just a simple phone call, a reservation, and you can get years of experience condensed into an hour lesson. So absolutely something for anybody to do. And what about concealed carry? That's a big deal right now. Yeah, concealed carry is big everywhere. Um, we have one coming up here actually Friday, tw- uh, September 27th. That'll be at 5 o'clock, and I urge anyone to, to do that, Terry. It's going to be, the, of course, the classroom portion in our very comfortable clubhouse. And then the shooting portion will be down in that same uh, beautiful NRA-approved target return design uh, pistol range here at Colorado Clay. So it's the best of the best. If you're going to do concealed carry, this is the place to do it. Well, you, you know, so many places offer a classroom concealed carry but they can't offer the shooting portion. I have to do it a different day. And to me, seeing after that class, having that instructor see you handle your firearm is so critical. It is very critical, Terry. And it's so nice to do it all in one area and at one time. And then, of course, nothing makes it better than having the top um, professionals in the industry teaching those classes, which we do here at Colorado Clays. So it's a win-win all the way around. Okay, now the next subject I want to talk to you about is dove hunting is starting to tail off, but there's still quite a few birds out there. But we're starting to reach the point where people have either gone out dove hunting, shot a lot of shells, and are realizing how inadequate they are, or they haven't practiced at all, and they really need to sharpen up. Either way, upland game is coming. You need to get in there and do it. What's the best way to practice for pheasant and quail? Well, good point, Terry. So Colorado clays, trap, skeet, wobble trap, sporting clays are all great games played with a shotgun and clay targets. Uh, We have, what, seven trap fields, two skeet ranges, and, of course, one of the most beautiful 15-station sporting clays courses anywhere. So it's worth the trip to Colorado clays just to enjoy those any time. But when we start talking specifically about upland game practice, Nothing compares to the wobble trap overlay on the skeet field here at Colorado Clays. And what is a wobble trap? You know, people ask you that. Well, it's like an ordinary trap, but it has the simultaneous capability of oscillating left and right and elevating up and down. So you can literally get any combination of left to right angle along with elevation from skimming the weed tops to nearly straight up on every target launch. Now that is incredible upland practice in itself. But when you also have the entire skeet field to position yourself relative to that wobble trap, uh, so a person can literally 
like simulate almost any bird flush conceivable and have the option of working on the shots you need to practice before season. And, of course, Terry, since you're on the skeet field anyway, with a simple push of a button, you can work on those fast crossing shots as well. So one thing I will say, Terry, make sure before you come out, uh, give me a call and I'll go down with you because I'm sure we can both use a tune-up before the birds start jumping. Yeah, I, I can always use a tune-up before the birds start jumping. You know, yep. I used to be a time when I felt pretty pretty good about my shotgun skills. I, I think I told you that story about that Sporting Clays event I was in, and I've never shot one since because I did so much better than I could have ever hoped that I said, that's it, I'll never do that again. <laughs> There's something to be said for going out on a high note. I yeah, will say. <laughs> I'll agree. And it isn't that I don't love shotgunning. I do. Uh, it's just that I, I'm so into fishing, I don't have time. Speaking, I want to pick your brain a little bit. So uh, what kind of techniques do you use when you go out fall walleye fishing? Well, Terry, it kind of depends on the lake. So I fish a couple different lakes. Um, I do really good in the fall um, with some lipless cranks presented properly. I'll throw some blades. Um, and every now and again, I'll get into some jigging. It kind of depends on the particular body of water. Um, I know what I know about them when I go there, but those are probably my three favorite for the fall. Uh, those are great techniques, and uh, fall fishing can be just so phenomenal, fall shooting. Well, you know, the thing about Colorado this time of the year, Jr., is that you can pick your poison. We've got big game hunting going on. We've still got dove season. We've got, we had teal season. I can't remember if it's still going, but we're going to have waterfall, not regular waterfall, not that far away, and upland game. Speaking of upland game, have you heard any reports about the pheasants yet? We're going to have Ed Gorman on, I believe, next week, and he's going to update us, but are you hearing anything about the upland game? Uh, you know, the stuff I've heard has been pretty good so far, Terry. Again, of course, we have a lot of folks from all around the state coming out. A lot of them are farmers. And uh, the bird reports I've heard so far in the particular places um, sound pretty fair. So uh, I'm, I'm excited. I think we're going to have a good year. I do, too. You know, it's been a really strange year season-wise because we had such a late spring. Normally that moisture helps the brood, which, you know, 70 80% of the harvested pheasants in any year are probably chicks from that year and and but then it was cold so late and so long i heard some places got off a little bit of a late brood so we're going to see it i'm gonna i'm anxious to talk to ed because he is so knowledgeable folks you want to tune in for that next week if you're into upland game hunting at all ed gorman is just he is the man that knows eastern colorado he is the sage of these things and i just love having him on jr any last things before we let you go uh, Terry, just everybody, whatever your needs are, give us a call here at Colorado Clays, 303-659-7117, or please visit the website. Take the virtual tour if you want to know what we're about, and uh, we look forward to seeing you. All right, my friend, we will talk to you in a couple weeks. Okay, thank you, Terry. You bet. That's JR from Colorado Clays. Always a great resource. When you go out there, bug him about fishing because he thinks he's pretty hot stuff. To tell you the truth, now that I let him go and I don't think he can hear me, he does catch a lot of big fish, but we got to keep him in his place. But I'll tell you what, out there, they do know shooting, and they know how to get you on your game, and they have a lot of great, great um, opportunities out there. I want to wrap a few things up while we're wrapping up the show. Now, hopefully you guys have figured out we're back to our 9 to 11 time frame. We should be back to 9 to 11 all through the winter and through the rest of the season, at least till spring. And uh, we, we appreciate it when you tune in and join us. 
And remember to follow us on Facebook. You heard we just got Kirk Dieter to commit one of his books to our trivia. I'm going to add, I'm going to get some more trivia prizes. We're going to get good prizes. We're not going to give away just cheapy things. We're going to get good tr- some good prizes, and we're going to start doing some trivia questions. But what we do, Karen tends to post on our Facebook page, um, you know, trivia tips or 20 years of trivia or whatever she calls it because we've been on like 20-some years from the show. But it's hard to remember those details until she posts them on the Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. And then when she does, uh, we tend to that week have a trivia question that you either call in or text in, depending on what we do, and we give away some good prizes. So we're going to start that. That'll be going on here pretty quick. So you want to follow us on Facebook. The other reason to follow us on Facebook is because we let you know what's going on on this show. Last week, Nate Zielinski did an incredible job describing calling elk during the rut, just prior getting into and after it. It was just one of the most insightful segments he's done, and he does a lot of our elk scouting and calling shows. So I posted that as a podcast on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook, and you need to follow that. Now, we're going to try to take maybe not every week, but most weeks, I'm going to pick out one of the podcasts and highlight it on our Facebook page. Now, you can always listen to any of the podcasts by going to 1043thefan.com, going Terry Wickstrom, and you can listen to segment-by-segment podcasts or hour-by-hour podcasts of the show, so if you miss it. So if you're driving, you hear something, you want to get caught up on it, lots of ways to do that. But we're going we're gonna to post some ones that we think are very critical or very insightful, and I'll write a little bit to go with it on the Facebook page. We also feature Colorado's Fishing Report, which I think goes to every other week pretty soon, but we're not sure. It's still every week, but it'll go to every other week, and we post that. And then we post uh, videos to our YouTube channel. There's about 120-some up there now. Every time Karen adds another video to the YouTube channel, she'll post it on uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. Another thing I've been doing there is I've been pulling up past articles from the Denver Post that I've written that are timely, like maybe it's about fall fishing from a year or two ago, but the conditions seem similar. So I'll pull that article, and I'll put the link up on Facebook, and then I'll also write a little bit of an update on it to really give you planning information going into whether it's hunting, fishing, what's coming up in the area, to get you ready so you can enjoy those things. The whole purpose of the show is just to share information so hopefully you can have a better experience in the outdoors. In fact, I'm going to post probably this week an article I wrote on outdoor survival where if you would get lost or injured, whether it's a day hike or a hunting trip, what are the necessities? And I got a feeling that I might tend to use uh, some of what's in that article for a trivia question down the road, but it's valuable, insightful information that you really should have if you're venturing out. You know, the weather may be beautiful down here, but you can get in trouble so quick, and a few basics will keep you from having any issues with that. So we're going to wrap up the show. Thanks to Kyle for making us sound like we know how to keep a show on schedule. Thanks to Karen for setting this all up and making me look like I know something, which is a lot of fun. But thanks to all of you for listening. And join us every week at 9 to 11 for Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Yes, you still-